It's Thursday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a great day out there today. Drizzly and not so nice. It sounds like it's going to be super cold for Halloween. That's not my favorite uh, news to hear with three trick-or-treaters in the house, not including myself. Uh, But we'll get through it. This is what happens sometimes in late October. I'm no stranger to that. My birthday is actually the day before Halloween, and I'm always used to not knowing if it's going to be 60 or 30. looks like it's going to be trending towards the lower number on this uh, this particular time of year. But a lot of the sports these days are at least indoors, including the Vikings, the Timberwolves. We'll talk about both of those teams here in just a little bit. Randy Johnson will join me from the Star Tribune to talk go for football. Big win over Iowa this past weekend, of course. Chilly game probably coming up this weekend against Michigan State, but a chance for them to get hot in the standings. You got Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, uh, before you got to play Ohio State and Wisconsin. But an opportunity here for them to redefine their season after you know what we thought was trending towards a lost season. Amazing what one win can do. Uh, a win over a rival on the road gets them back into a position where you start to think about a better bowl game and even start to maybe think about Big Ten West contention. But before we get ahead of ourselves, they need to win a couple more games at least before we start to think about those things. And they're going to need to get some help along the way as well. Um, first, before we get to that, though, what did I miss? Timberwolves opened with a 97-94 loss to Toronto on Wednesday night, it was supposed to be kind of the the debut of the same Wolves, but the new Wolves, right? They've talked all off-season, all preseason about continuity, about how this is year two with a lot of these same players together. The Rudy Gobert trade last season, figuring out how he and Carl Anthony Towns play better together. Um, Towns, of course, hurt for about you know two-thirds of the season a year ago. Didn't really get to see a full sample of those guys together. But they said, wait, listen, I know we're going to be up against it with the salary cap in a year. I know we've got you know a lot of issues to sort out, especially on offense. But I think that we have a chance to be really good if we can kind of figure out some of these continuity issues. Head coach Chris Finch saying in the offseason that he wants their identity to, be, identity to be defense, but they still have a lot of capable offensive players, including their max guys, uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, leading the way. So if the problem last season, if the biggest problem last season was offensive continuity and the offense looking, quote, quote unquote, clunky or sticky, the ball getting sticky a lot of times, that was something we were all looking to see. How would that look differently in the opener against the the Raptors? And guess what, folks? It didn't look any different at all. It was more of the same I know it's just one of 82, but that was really, really disappointing if you were watching that game and thinking, okay, what are these changes? What have they done differently? What have they figured out or unlocked in the offseason that's going to make this offense function more um, more freely, flow better? You know, you've got a full year of Mike Conley. Everybody is healthy except for Jaden McDaniels, and he should be back soon. And he's not like a – he's an important piece. He's more of a complementary player. Uh, he's paid like a star, but he's more of a complementary player right now, at least, in the offense. He helps. He's got some chemistry, but he's not 
driving the engine of this team. That's more of a Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns enterprise. So all of those guys in there, and they still only managed 94 points in this game. Now, so it's a game where you can look at it and say you can you can live with 94 points if it was the result of just flat out missing good shots. If you were moving the ball, if you were just getting wide open looks, but for some reason on night one of the NBA season, the shots just weren't falling. Then you say, you know what? The process was good. The process was good. And this is a big kind of key point of this whole show. Um, We'll get to that with the Vikings a little bit later too. The process was good, but we just didn't make shots, right? Because then you look at it and say, Keep repeating the same thing. It's going to change. It's going to get better as time goes on. You're going to make those shots. It's going to look better once those shots start to fall. Trust the offense. Trust what you're doing, and it will. those shots eventually will fall. That was not the case in this game. They were missing a lot of contested, low-percentage shots, and I think it started with Anthony Edwards. That was the biggest disappointment to me was that after the game, Anthony Edwards talking about the things he needs to do better, which is good accountability, but it just didn't make any sense. Like The things that he was saying didn't make any sense in the context of what we expect from him and his role in the offense. It started with me not moving the ball, talking about the bad offense. He was 8 of 27 on the night, including 4 of 16 from, I'm sorry, 4 of 20 from two-point range. He said, I don't know what I was doing tonight, but I'll get back to it. We'll be all right. Yeah, I'm glad you're taking out accountability and ownership of it. Another quote from from Ant. I feel like I just got carried away and fell out of our strategy and started taking crazy shots. Fatigue definitely kicked in. I blame myself. Fatigue, it's game one of the season. What does that even mean? How do you get away from a game plan in the middle of a game? Like I I get it. I get it that he, you know, he he wants to carry a certain load, but that's not a, that's not an answer or an excuse that I want to hear from Anthony Edwards in year four. If he is really going to take a step forward, you can't have an entire game like that that's a mental lapse, an entire game where you get out of what you're trying to do. You might have possessions like that. You might have, you know, two or three moments like that in the game, maybe in every game where you say, ah, I shouldn't have done that. That was my fault. Took a bad shot, took a contested shot. You look at a shot chart from Wednesday night, it's full of unfilled circles, missed shots from mid-range, just contested, bad looks. Sometimes they go in. They were kind of going in a little bit more in the first quarter, which kind of let them get away with it, let them have bad process, lead to good results. Mike Conley Jr. kind of called them out on that, said, I think we had a little bit of early success with the ball being sticky. Guys were making some tough shots on our team, and it was working early. As the game goes on, we can't rely on it. We We can't rely on that style of basketball. When that ball stuck, we had a few weird plays where we tried to get fouls, threw it off the glass. It's basically like a steel transition run out that led to a lot of easy baskets for Toronto let them build a little bit of a lead and then Toronto hit some shots in the fourth quarter and that is the ball game now it's just one of 82 we talked yesterday about the patience needed in a one of 82 season they did some things well they rebounded a whole lot better than they did last season Edwards had 14 rebounds to go with his I think 27 points so he had you know he, he filled up the box score in different ways so, you know, not all hope was lost. But then again, you look at it and you say, is is the rebounding going to be repeatable? Are they going to do those things well every game? See, it has to be 
this kind of consistent process along the way. Edwards had 26, not 27. Let me correct myself quickly. Um, not a huge difference, but 26, not 27 on 8 of 27 shooting. Like I said, Towns 8 of 25, including 2 of 10 from three-point range. Um, Gobert, Towns, and Edwards all had double-doubles, but it's kind of a hollow double-double, especially when you're getting um, you know, plenty of offensive rebounds from your own misses, and you're just not getting those quality shots. So, again... One of 82. Can they clean up the process quickly? Can they keep rebounding in a, in a bigger way to kind of sustain the things they were doing well in this game? It's just disappointing because they talked all offseason. All, all the talk was we, we've kind of figured out a way to, to kind of unlock this. It's going to be better on offense. We still want our identity built around defense, but we can be a better offensive team than we were last year. Maybe take a step to be top five in defense and upper half in offense, and that's probably going to translate into a high playoff seed and, and the chance to compete in the playoffs. What I saw on, uh, on Wednesday was unfortunately more of the same. And if it's more of the same for too long this season, this whole thing is going to get blown up. This whole thing is going to get blown up. They're going to trade somebody because this logjam of players making a lot of money, if, if, they're, if they're a 500 team or hovering around that mark, they're not going to stick with it. So I want to see improvement almost right away because the process is just as important the results. They didn't have either one on, uh, on Wednesday, but the process is so much more important right now, and that was definitely flawed in the opener. Quick note before we get to Randy Johnson, though, at least they weren't the Bulls. The Bulls had a player-only meeting after the first game of the season, a blowout loss. Can you believe that? Players-only meeting after a loss to Oklahoma City, I believe. Um, they're 0-1. One game, and they have to have a players-only meeting. I, I don't know if I've ever seen that in the history of sports, to have a players-only meeting after one game. But uh, that's another team that kind of ran it back, that had a lot of you know issues last season, but decided to keep their core intact and hope for better things this year, kind of like the Wolves. They struggled in their opener, but I don't, I don't know if the Wolves are in players-only meeting territory yet, but we will stay tuned for that. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk Gopher football today with Randy Johnson of the Star Tribune. Um, Randy, no secret what we're going to start with today. 12-10 win over Iowa changes the texture of this season considerably, gives P.J. Fleck his first win over the Hawkeyes of his tenure, gives the Gophers their first win there in almost a quarter of a century. Um, and obviously the controversy that came with it, uh, the, the punt, the punt return for a touchdown that wasn't, and then the 12-10 hang on for the victory. What was it like to be a part of all of that down in Iowa City a few days ago? Oh, it was stressful if you're, you're sitting there on deadline after having to write everything, uh, turn it around what you have for your story. But you know, it was it was um it was it was very interesting. It was uh yeah, when uh, Cooper DeGene uh takes that punt back allegedly and uh uh, scores it's like okay just flashback to last year when uh Muhammad Ibrahim uh fumbled on the way you know 
deep in the Iowa territory when it looked like the Gophers were to go ahead for good there. Um, it, it just, yeah, it's like, okay, you're thinking Iowa found another way to pull this thing out somehow. But then yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, ruling, the replay ruling comes and uh, uh, yeah, like a lot of, lot of angry Iwegians after that. That's for sure. Seemed like the Gophers weren't quite sure what happened in the moment. They weren't, of course, going to turn it down or turn their noses up at it. But then as the, you know, the days went on, it seemed like they were more, they were more confident and a lot of other people were more confident that the that the rule, the call was correctly applied about the the invalid fair catch, even if it wasn't caught on the field. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a rule that's probably not that well known. So and you know, the the play was so exciting, especially for the home crowd that you know, there they go. They, they they're gonna they're gonna pull this thing out. But yeah, it that the right call was made when you look when you look at how it's read and and yeah, it, it it's it might be a uh you know, some might consider it a kind of a ticky-tack call because did it affect the play at all? Well, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. You know, it's a situation. I kind of wonder, it was DeGene trying to basically bait the Gophers into, like, say, slowing on the play, and then right. he takes off runs. I, I think that's why that rule is in there. So you can't sure. pull that you know, pull that off where you're, you kind of lull a team to sleep and then just take off with it. Um, but yeah, when you look at by the letter of the law, that's, that's what it was called correctly afterward. Missed, missed on the field by the, the officials though. The rest of the game, they kick four field goals. They don't score a touchdown. And we thought that, you know, some of the keys to the game were to be obviously limit mistakes, but also you've got to cash in and convert all of your golden opportunities into at least some of them into sevens. They didn't do that. And they still won the game. Um, is that as much to do with the Gophers, defense and approach or as much to do with Iowa's complete offensive ineptitude? Well, I think you got to look at it both ways. It, it, each each is a big part of it. The Gophers, especially after halftime, played very good defense. You know, they forced four three and outs um, and uh, got uh, two second half turnovers. Uh, and Iowa didn't move the ball. Iowa had uh, 12 yards of offense in the second half. You know, it, it was a situation where you know, they, they put pressure on the quarterback and forced him into turnovers. Um, you know, he was not very mobile, Deacon Hill, and and they they made him pay for that. Uh, yeah, Iowa, you know, yeah, they he's their backup. He's he's not uh, not very good. He's, he's got a pretty low um, completion percentage, around 37%. Uh, yeah, they took advantage of that. Uh, not, the first half, not so much, because they basically handed Iowa a touchdown with four defensive penalties uh, on that drive. And, uh, you know, that, that was one where they had a lot of atoning to do, and they did in the second half. I thought it was interesting. P.J. Fleck, I think, early in the year when they played a non-conference game, I can't remember if it was Eastern Michigan or Louisiana, whichever one of those teams has a pretty good quarterback, said, you know, that quarterback could play for some of the teams in the Big Ten. And I flashed forward to Iowa, and I was like, they probably would take that guy uh, on their team. Yeah, that was Louisiana. That's right. That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah that, that, there's there the state of – uh, quarterback in the Big Ten uh, in, in a lot of places is not very good right now. Um, you know, and and uh, a lot of guys. There's a few teams that are relying on on backups or their second guy in there. Just you know, just if their original starter wasn't effective. So yeah, for every JG McCarthy, you've got two or three uh, guys that are they're struggling. Now I thought it was interesting. They beat them twelve to ten with four field goals. The last of them coming in the fourth quarter and. They, you know, essentially played what we could call the long game. And, and PJ Fleck referred to that and said he had a conversation with Brett Bielema. I don't know if it was this past summer or the summer before, but the Illinois coach basically telling him 
that's how you have to beat them. And I think Illinois beat them in 2022. Bielema beat Iowa, I think, three out of five times when he was Wisconsin's head coach, you know, different teams then, but still a lot of the same principles under Ferentz. Um, did do you th- do we think that's really the best way to beat them? I, it's, it seems like it's a risky way to beat them, but that it worked in this case. And I also thought it was interesting that Bielema is giving flex secrets on beating Iowa. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, there. Um, I think part of it, too, it, it's yeah, you 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 play Iowa. You you know you don't want to make mistakes because they are so good at uh, on defense on capitalizing on mis- mistakes. You know, be it Riley Moss last year. Um, uh, you got Cooper Gene this year. Uh, basically, you know they got guys who who can take it back. Uh, I think the big key for the Gophers this year, they stopped any of the Iowa. Big plays. Iowa yeah. did not get a big gain or an explosive play on offense, and uh, that's where you, a team has to be very patient. That's where the long game comes in. In in, in, in flex words, it's sure. they they were able to avoid. You know, they kind of shot themselves in the foot toward the end of the first half with with those defensive penalties. But aside from that, they were very solid. You saw uh, uh, contributions from a lot of different players, and uh, linebacker play was so much better. His pass rush was very good. Uh, and then Tyler Newman had an outstanding game in the secondary. And Justin Wally gets the pick at the end to seal it. They came out of the game with some injuries at running back. I mean, they came in with some question marks there. But how do how do they look health-wise? Where do you think the depth chart is going to be coming into the game against Michigan State on Saturday? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because, well, last week they found out before the game that uh, uh, was announced uh, that Bryce um, – Williams off for the season because of injury. Right. But Darius Taylor was back and available. Uh, uh, and then Zach Evans, uh, both of those guys carried most of the load. Uh, Evans goes out uh, just before halftime. Uh, and then Taylor gets hurt uh, early in the fourth quarter. That leaves it up to uh, Sean Tyler, the Western Michigan transfer. Um, yeah, PJ didn't uh, specifically address the uh, injuries to the running backs. Though he did hint that it, uh, he felt that they got some good news and they might have one of the two injured guys back. Um, so this week, you know, you'll 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 see Sean Tyler. You'll probably see Jordan Newbin, uh, um, Tyler's younger brother, and uh, a converted uh, running back from defensive back. Um, if you get say either a Taylor or an Evans, that would be a, a, a big help. Um, but yeah, it's they're they're. Uh, they're they're uh, using all their depth they can right there, and and you know two years ago they were able to um, bring over uh, Derek LeCaptain from linebacker uh, Mariano Sorimer and dubbed him the running backer. Well, he's not an option this year. He uh, he had, he had a season-ending injury in training camp. Uh, so yeah, they're they're a bit thin there. Now you might not need everybody at full strength to beat Michigan State. They've been struggling all year, but if you are going to play the long game of this season, if we might borrow that phrase, you are going to need to win pretty much every other game the rest of the season, maybe except for the Ohio State game, to have any chance of contending for a Big Ten title. How do you think that plays into kind of the conversation of, okay, you got Michigan State, you got Illinois, Purdue, all of those winnable games. You got to beat Bielema, um, play the long game against him. How do you think that factors into, okay, winning these games versus kind of like making sure that you're winning, but also healthy for kind of that push at the end to see if you can beat a Wisconsin and, and maybe sneak in the back door and, and actually win a big 10 West title. Yeah. You, you, you would want to, uh, 
you want to get the, the the passing game going better than it has. That's that's that would take a lot of pressure off the run game, and then you know not so much uh, wear and tear on the on the running backs. Uh, they're running the ball sixty four percent of the time this season. Um, you, you want to you'd like to see more of the passing game come in here and, and take take that part of the load. Um, you know, you you saw a, a better version of Ethan Kaliak Manis in the second half. Um, he was a victim of a lot of drop passes too. I believe about six of them. Um, so they they need to, they need the receivers to you know hang on quite a bit better. Um, you know they're basically they need to be more balanced going forward. And yeah, they they have a path. There is a path there to contend and possibly win the Big Ten West. Um, you know, if you win all all five of the remaining games, you win it. Well, you got Ohio State in there, so that's. Yeah, very tough hill to climb there. Um, you go four and one with Ohio State as a loss. You've and, and beat Wisconsin. Um, at the end, you got a pretty good shot if Iowa absorbs another loss. Um, uh, you know, you you want to. Uh, they can get in a situation if they beat Wisconsin where they would have tiebreakers over Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska. Should it come to that, so right. that would be uh, that would be where they'd want to be. Um, the only the one that they would want to avoid being a tiebreaker in is with Northwestern, but I am I'm guessing the Wildcats are going to absorb another loss or two down down the stretch here. Um, so yeah, it, it's there. There is a way to to get uh, to the Big Ten West title at six and three in the conference, and there, and if you <laughs> play it even further, there's there are ways to get there at five and four. But I don't think you want to try to test that. Um, so you know, their their best way is is. Uh, get those four wins and you know and, you know somehow you beat Ohio State that'd be even better but you know that's probably not going to happen after seeing them on Saturday and then also seeing Iowa on Saturday a how confident are you that they could get those four wins and be even against a soft schedule that Iowa has how confident are you that that Iowa would would take another loss somewhere in there oh um, I, I would say Iowa will take another loss in there um they don't have, you know they have a uh, not much of an offense and that it came back to bite them this week. And I think there are better offenses than the Gophers that they'll be playing. I know they have Rutgers on the schedule. Rutgers is a decent team this year. Um, they're sitting at five and two or six and two. Now um, you, uh, they, they got, they still have to play Nebraska, uh, you know, and Nebraska has come around. They're, they're a much more competitive team this year than they were last. Uh, yeah. The, the Gophers, as for the Gophers, you know, I, I, it's tough to project, four wins out of those five just because you know there's the thing that's kind of hung over them all year is was that loss at northwestern uh when you blew a 21 point fourth quarter lead uh that said i think this team has improved since then especially what we saw this past weekend on defense final thing they were one and oh in the iowa's championship season although i think they celebrated a little bit more than just a uh just a regular game. I think maybe the 1-0 and in that season is to keep them focused, not so much to keep them from celebrating. Um, you know, g- given, you know, given where they were, given what they've given, what they did, uh, how should we kind of project this, uh, project this Michigan State game? You know, it, it becomes a pretty important game now that they've got themselves back in the race. Um, you know, Michigan State's gone through a similar situation that Northwestern has a big scandal. Coach forced out, uh, you know, but they've lost five in a row. Um, they've been competitive at times, um, and they always have some good athletes. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, the Gophers have to take care of business. They just have to 
be solid in all or all facets of the game. Don't turn the ball over. Things like that. Uh, you know they've they played a pretty clean game for the most part against Iowa. Didn't didn't get in the end zone, but uh, didn't make bad mistakes to, that 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 uh, that sunk them. Yeah. Well, we'll see if they can keep it going. Like I said, a, just a different narrative now with both the Gophers and the Vikings. Just kind of one game changes how we think about both of these teams. All of a sudden we're talking about playoffs for the Vikings and certainly bull projections become a lot easier for the Gophers. And even like you said, a path to the Big Ten title, if they can keep winning, got to start with Michigan State. But then, you know, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, I, all of those are pretty winnable games. Like not saying they will win them, but they should be favored in at least two of those, right? And maybe the Purdue game as well. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. Um, you know, if especially if they win these next, next yep. two. They yep. go into Purdue with another with a on a three game winning streak. They'll yeah, they would be favored. Um, you know, not the they haven't had the most uh, success there, but they've won there too. Um, you know, it's it's just a matter of you know are are they good enough to get where they want to be? I, you know, that's that's to to be determined. You know, it, it they're they they're riding pretty high right now after the win. They have got to be pretty happy. Uh, but there there's a lot of more work to do before they can get where they need to be. Well, I hope Saturday's game, for fans' sake, is as thrilling as Saturday's uh, win over Iowa was. But I hope for your sake it's a little bit more paint-by-numbers and you can kind of wrap it up by the end of the third quarter and feel like you've got a story to write that, uh, that's going to hold up for all editions, Randy. Well, it, this this year I, I knew going in I, I I thought there'd be a lot of a lot of close games, and that has been the case. And some have gone not the way you want them to, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's uh, just – Part of the it's an occupational hazard yes, on the day. It is. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. I always appreciate Randy coming on here and sharing his gopher football knowledge. I think like we talked about, it's an opportunity for the gophers, but also um also a challenge. I think the biggest thing we need to see is is more improvement from their quarterback, Ethan Calicmanis. What do they have in him? Can he lead them down the stretch here? Can he lead them to a good season? Keep that momentum going from past years. Can he show that he is the guy for future seasons? PJ Flex teams tend to get better as the season goes along. If this is another case of that, and they can string together a bunch of wins at the rest, you know, down the rest of the stretch here, then we will have then we'll be able to have more confidence in this process going forward. But I think these next five games are awfully important for them. I, I think this is a team that is kind of on the precipice because the season can go one way or the other. They had a good win in Iowa where they trusted their process. Can they do that against Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue? Teams they probably should beat, probably will be favored against. I know they're favored against Michigan State. That's probably the easiest of the bunch, but can they put themselves in the spot where they can think about contending for a Big Ten West title, even if they don't beat Ohio State, which is a long shot, um, set themselves up for that finale against Wisconsin with a chance to have something to play for on the line. That is what I want to see the rest of the season. Let us finish with the cooler, the Vikings. Speaking of process versus results, circling back to the Wolves and the start of the show, Kirk Cousins on Wednesday, I was out there at Vikings' uh, access period open locker room we recorded another access vikings podcast give that a listen Um, that went live yesterday we'll have our mailbag episode going live on friday so listen to that but kirk cousins interesting talking about how he has a hard time enjoying a play where 
the result was good, but the process was maybe bad. And he, he kind of took us through the touchdown to Jordan Addison at the end of the first half. I want to I want you to listen back to kind of his thoughts on that from that period on on Wednesday. I hate watching plays that go our way, but I felt like we were fortunate because I don't feel like we were good enough, if you will. And so I watch it and say, we got away with one. I don't even like like celebrating. It's a weird dynamic where I'm like, we need to we need to feel like we executed the play and earned it. And certainly Jordan did in the sense that he made a play. But from my standpoint and what I can control, I'm saying, I got to be better. I got to have a better feel for where to lead him and got away with one. You obviously have had a few that you haven't gotten away with where you kind of paid the price the other way, where the ball bounced the other way. So it always balances out. But um, uh, there is some level of, you know, we got to be better, and we got away with one, and uh, and I don't love living like that for too long because I don't feel like it's sustainable. I feel like you have to ultimately, you know, earn it. Now, that was particularly interesting to me because when I watched the game back and I, and I saw that play, we watched that play over and over again because it was such a highlight from the game. But if you watch him going to the sidelines after that play, he is not smiling. He, he's accepting the high fives, but you can, you can see him, I believe, kind of processing what just happened, mad at himself for the way he threw that ball, I'm sure, happy and at the bottom line of course they scored a touchdown you're not going to be unhappy with the bottom line but unhappy with the process unhappy with the result that got in there because he knows that probably seven or eight times out of ten that is going to be an interception maybe one of the other times it's going to be an incompletion and he just happened to he happened to find the time with that throw where that play in that moment was a touchdown instead of one of those other negative outcomes so definitely a pivot point in that game some luck for the Vikings which they hadn't really been getting all season long and in a moment for Kirk Cousins it was a teachable moment for him but also an insight into his process and how he thinks about kind of you know the things that he's doing and and you know not being able to really enjoy something unless it is executed properly versus just um having the having the uh, having the outcome be what he wants um 49ers head coach i thought this was interesting by the way 49ers coach uh kyle shannon had a different take on that play he was talking to uh talking to uh Reporters on Wednesday said uh, he was asked about defensive coach, defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes, who uh, who had a cover zero blitz called on that play, and uh, he disagreed with it. He said, um, here was his quote from Wednesday, kind of thinking back on that play. He said, he knows he messed up on that call. I have no problem with zero blitzes, especially when you need a lot of yards. If you need to get 20 yards to kick a field goal, I have no problem with the zero blitz, but I do when there's 16 seconds left. That's where he lost track. There was no necessary need for that just because of the time. I have no problem with that play call, but when it's that time, you can't do that. And yes, we all kind of question that in the moment. And Kyle Shanahan definitely taking a second guess at it. You don't usually hear such a sharp rebuke or such a lengthy critique of something a defensive coordinator does. But obviously, that was a huge moment in the game. It was a weird call. I mean, the Vikings didn't have any timeouts left there at their own 40. They need to go at least... 20 to 25 yards just to get into field goal range and it's dicey even if you're going to get a completion over the middle and spike it at that point um, you're probably better off just playing coverage and trying to try to keep the vikings in bounds and end the half instead they burn them for a 60 yard touchdown a better throw would have had even a better chance of a touchdown but they get it anyway so that piece of interesting interesting too just hearing the process on both sides the results on both sides and how that impacts a game 
in any sport. That will do it for today. Lavelle Neal expected to join me on Friday show, probably talking some baseball, some World Series, maybe a little bit of Twins offseason stuff. Might pick his brain on a few other things as well. Always fun to have him on, so listen for that on Friday. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow. <laughs>